Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. I do want to thank you for coming here today. Uh, we, we really do appreciate the opportunity to get together as a church family and uh, to worship God together. Uh, Pastor Dave and Elder Chris are in Washington. They haven't abandoned you. I was just kidding. Um, they have actually gone to do ministry as well. And uh, I think, Ed, is Ed running, Ed is running a race or I, I don't Okay, he's, he went to Colorado and he's on his way back. Um, so, he didn't abandon you either. So, well, I just wanted to just be clear on that. I'm, I'm not better than them. I don't want you guys to be thinking that at all. So, how many of you have ever experienced relational conflict or are in relational conflict right now? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands, and don't elbow your spouse next to you. Uh, I just want to raise the question, because last week we invited Brian Noble from the Peacemakers Ministry, and uh, he came and shared just a, a foundation, a firm foundation of peacemaking. And so today I want to talk about the urgency of peacemaking. Now, what I'm sharing today is different from what he shared last week. His is probably better. Uh, he's probably a little bit funnier. He is also very much younger uh, than I am. But I felt like there is a need because when I did the statistics of how many people came last week, if I'm not mistaken, we had 73 people who came to the Peacemakers Seminar and a small number of people who wanted to come but couldn't because they were out of town, which puts it about 50% of this church is interested in peacemaking, which tells me that by bringing the Peacemakers ministry here, we are scratching an itch. There is a desire for peacemaking. And I think the desire for peacemaking is because we live in conflict. And if you have conflict that you're experiencing right now, you probably feel the emotion of it stirring in you, uh, how it bothers you, how it affects you, how it may even be lingering on. And today, <coughs> I would hope that in some ways, we build on the firm foundation of Christ and what Brian laid last week, and begin to build a building, a temple, where peacemaking becomes part of our DNA, where it becomes a part of who we are, part of, part of our hearts. And uh, for me, it's personal. So if you hear me preaching today, I, I want you to understand one thing. I am not preaching at you. I am not preaching to you. I'm actually preaching to myself. Here's what I mean. A few weeks ago, Youth group leaders, we had a worship service, sort of prayer meeting on Saturday night. It really creates in me this strong desire to have Saturday night church. I'm just saying that on tape, it's recorded. Um, but as we were praying, we started to ref I started to reflect on what was going on in my life, and I started counting. Wow, I, I have a conflict with that person, and I have a conflict. And then when I got into double digits, I said, "Okay, this is I got to stop here. This is not good. This is really bad." And uh, as I thought about that, I began to reflect on, you know, I wonder how many people actually have conflict with me and have never said anything. And, uh, you know, when you start to think those things, those people start approaching you. And so it's been a little bit of a, a rough few weeks because there have been places where people have said, you've done this. 
And uh, it's hard to hear that. You've actually hurt someone's feelings. And there's conflict. And even if I said today, hey, if you have a conflict with me, please come. I'd be more than willing to work through that with you. Many people won't do that. And I had one person once tell me, when you say that, it bothers me more because you know we're not going to come and you're doing it because you just want to free yourself from guilt because it's really hard to come. So I'm not trying to do that, but I am saying if there is conflict, as a church that is urgent about peacemaking, we really need to start moving towards actually making peace with each other in the family of God. And so that's what I want to talk about today, the urgency of peacemaking. Uh, Let's turn in our Bibles or your phones, whichever one that you want. doesn't make a difference, Uh, but it's to God's Word. Ephesians chapter 4 I want us to look at first. There are going to be a lot of verses, and then I'll try to bring it together for us. By the way, uh, if you notice the beautiful uh, artwork and all the stuff that I've done today, please thank me later so that I can pass it on to my daughter. This is what Paul writes. He says, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, which we didn't see as much, says, therefore, what he's saying is, in light of all the good things that God has done, You, the Ephesian church, a mix of Jews and Gentiles, people who have been enemies forever, are now brought together in one body in Christ. And so therefore, because this beautiful thing that God has done in you, bringing these enemies, bringing these Republicans and Democrats together, bringing these liberals and conservatives together, bringing them together into one body, getting them to see that there is something bigger than their ethnicity or their politics, what he's saying is being one in Christ is so important that I urge you, that I beg you, I plead with you. It's kind of like when I was trying to date girls in high school. Please, Please, you know, that kind of begging, that, that urgency, because Paul is real serious about unity in the body of Christ. Because he says, when you walk in this unity, you walk in a manner that is worthy of Christ, that looks as a reflection of who Christ actually is and how he can bring enemies together and actually not just make them friends but make them family, blood relatives, the blood of Christ relatives in actuality, bringing them together. So he's urging them because this is important for the world to see because a lot of times, and you might have heard this, is why would you want me to become a Christian? The church is full of hypocrites. It's a reflection on who the church is. And so Paul's saying, if you want to really reflect who Christ is, then I'm urging you, I am begging you, Walk in this manner to which you have been called. God has called you to something greater than your politics. God has called you something to something greater than your ethnicity. God has called you something greater than even to your opinions. God has called you to be unified peacemakers in Christ. And he says, not only does he urge them, but he says, be eager to maintain that which God has already done. God has already done it. God has made us one. Whether you like it or not, whether you are on whatever spectrum that you are, if you're in Christ, you are a family member with people you don't always agree with. And he says, 
be eager. In fact, the better way to say it is make every effort, make every effort to maintain this unity. In other words, put your whole heart into it. Do everything. Lay it on the line. If you ever hear athletes say, hey man, I, I, I played 110% today. And now, if I'm not really good at math. Marcus, you're pretty good at math. Song, you're pretty good at math. But when I hear 110%, I kind of go, how do you do 100%? Man, I think they're 100% or nothing. When you're going over, but it's an idiom, right? What they're saying is, man, I gave it all. And Paul's saying, listen, give it all. Do everything that you possibly can to make sure that when people see the church of Jesus Christ, they see a family and they see peacemakers. That's what he's trying to get them to see. Live this life that is worthy. That, that's straining. If you ever see runners in the Olympics and they're all straining, they're putting out, and they're pushing themselves forward to be the ones that cross over the line first because they're putting, in a sense, 110% into it. That's what Paul wants. Turn with me now to Philippians chapter 127. This is Paul again. Notice the commonality in words. Philippians 1.27 <coughs> reads this way. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here's just the word picture that I want to give you. That Paul, when Paul says stand firm, what he's saying is stand back to back. You know, how many of us have ever used the phrase, I got your back? You know, no matter what happens, you know, I got your back. When I got your back, man, I got your back. Of course, you might want to give me your back, but that's another story. But I've got your back. Whatever happens, I will be there. Uh, This weekend, I've been uh, watching my neighbor's dogs. And uh, they actually asked me to sleep over there because they're older dogs. So like two in the morning, the dogs are getting up, four in the morning, getting up, and you've got to take them out to the bathroom. And it's been an excellent experience, not because of the dogs, but because my uh, youngest daughter, Janice, come with me, and she started watching this new show on Netflix, Bella and the Bulldogs. Anyone heard of it? Natalie, kind of? It's a really interesting show. It's about a girl who becomes a high school uh, team's quarterback, and uh this is one thing that I, I want to say that I, I think Hollywood does well, if I can say that, is they understand, I got your back. I got your back. They understand anytime something's going on and these people are in conflict, you can see the teammates gathering around the other person saying, I got your back. We are with you in this. We will stand beside you. We will stand back to back. We will do whatever it protects because you are on our team. We're a team. And if Hollywood understands this and Scripture teaches it, my hope is that as a church we can get it and we can live it. Because two times Paul's talked about it now and each time he has said, this is your calling in Christ, walk worthy. To walk any other way in actuality is to walk unworthy, which is what we'll get to later on. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. This Tuesday at staff meeting, Sue Lee was sharing these verses, and I was like, wow, this is really cool. It's another verse I can use. Thank you, Sue. Reads this way, verse 14. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. See, the idea of 
the word picture that Paul is like a referee or an umpire who's saying, this is right and this is wrong. And you are to be peacemakers. Christ has called you to be peacemakers, to make peace with people. And as an umpire, the umpire is standing over here and saying, this is the path of peace. Stand together. And so in this Colossians chapter 3, you see a lot of descriptions of who Christians should be because what Paul's saying is, you are called to this ministry of peace. Live that life. Even if you're pulled in a different direction. How many of us in the midst of our conflict get pulled in different directions, right? You know, this is what God is saying. Do this, do this. And you're like, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Because it's a lot easier to live over here, to vent, to express our anger, to not be at peace, than it is to be over here. Because when we're over here, we lose something. It's hard to let go. The umpire saying, no, here, be here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this, make every effort. Have you heard that before? It seems that there's a theme here. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. The idea is here is to pursue it. Pursue peace. Chase after it. Chase after it. Be hungry for it. And, and, and what he's trying to hear is, is he can say it's not just, not just get to a place where there's the absence of conflict, but the peace, the shalom that's being talked about here in Hebrews says not only the absence of conflict, but the desire to do someone well. To de- desire to do good for them. Which is craziness! Because when someone has offended us, it's not so easy to first forgive them and then reach out and say, now I want to bless you when we expect an apology or some form of repentance from them. So what we're learning here in these verses, there's this New Testament theme that this God of peace wants to bring his family, his children together to be peacemakers. Not just among themselves, but even in these verses to be at peace with everyone that you live with. There's that sense of this pursuit. Now, I was thinking about making up my own Bible verses. I know you're like, what are you trying to do, man? Maybe we should bring the other elders back and get this guy out of here. But just as an example, I wanted to do something like Acts chapter 31, verse 5. The exception to peacemaking is when somebody does this. But then I figured that really wouldn't make sense, but I just spoke it anyway. But the idea is that there is no exemption. There's absolutely no exemption that God gives us not to pursue peace, not to make every effort, not to be eager to actually be peacemakers. Absolutely none. So if you leave here today with the thought that I can actually find exemptions, I believe you will not find them in Scripture, which means that there's an urgency in our individual lives. There needs to be an urgency in my life to be a peacemaker, to be at peace with people. Because this is really important, because if there is no peace, there is division, and division does not come from Christ, but it comes from our enemies. Now, so what we've seen then is the precept. What is the precept? The precept is, be at peace. The principle behind that is because we're family, right? Family is supposed to be at peace. Now, not every family is at peace. I understand that there's dysfunction in every family. I get that. But the idea is, there's supposed to be peace. So you have a precept and a principle If we stop there, we run into trouble because ultimately we want to get to the furthest step as a person. The person of peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 says, Jesus 
is the Prince of Peace. Why should the church seek to make peace? Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And if we want to walk worthy of this calling of peace, it's not so that we can fulfill a precept or a principle, but so that we might follow a person. You see, Jesus calls us His disciples, which means that if you're my disciples, you do what I do. And I'm the Prince of Peace. And I have come to bring peace. And I initiate peace with those who were my enemies because to me, peace matters because I want to bring everyone to my Father. And so the call to walk worthy, walk in this certain manner, is tied in not to the precept or the principle, but the person of who Jesus Christ is. And so to me, the urgency of peacemaking relates to who this Jesus is and why we follow Him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For He Himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Hostility. It's not like I'm annoyed by you, hostility. It is you have greatly offended me. I can't even be in your sight. You sicken me. You disgust me. Kind of hostility. To a point where what Paul's saying is, listen, this Jesus whom you follow has broken down those walls. So hopefully we've seen here then <coughs> that God calls his children to peacemaking, but I now want us to see that God calls his children to be like Christ, which we've seen. So we want to be like Jesus, and ultimately, if we look, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I'm just going to run through these verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. How do you know you're a child of God? You're a peacemaker. Matthew chapter 6, verses 12, 14 through 15. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will, not, will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So the call is for us to follow Jesus. The urgency of it is to be like Jesus in the midst of our relational conflict. Again, not easy. I want to get us to a place. Now let me just take a little parenthetical break here. What are some obstacles to peace and peacemaking? I think, the, Natalie, I, I'm going to let you go ahead, sister. Let, let, let it say it. Did you say a lack of forgiveness? That is a good answer. Yes. An obstacle to peace is when we do not forgive. Now, I've just read the verses for you. Do I need to explain that? How many times have we heard that over and over again when we get in the midst of conflict? You should forgive the other person. That horse is so beaten dead, we still don't get it. It is absolutely important to be like God, to be like Christ in the way that we forgive each other. But what I think is the real issue in my life and in the life of the others, other people that I know, is learning how to apologize. The forgiveness part is hard, but actually learning to give a sincere apology, I think, is almost absent in many lives of Christians. Let me ask you this. Have you ever heard this? Somebody's apologizing to you. And they say something like, I'm sorry you felt that way. Or, I'm sorry you took that way. 
Why are you laughing? Because you're right. There's something wrong with that, man. That is not an apology. What it's really saying is, you know we have relational conflict, Linus? You know why? Because it's you. I offended you. What are you talking You're you're offending me by me being offended by you. You're the offensive one. So I'm sorry you felt that way. Hope everything's better. Have you ever heard that apology? That apology drives me crazy. To actually think that someone would sit there and say, the problem here is you. Now, I would never do that. Except I did. I offended somebody uh, a few weeks ago. And I said, come on, man. How old are you? Get some thick skin, man. I'm just joking around. I'm goofing around. And the person's pouring out their heart how I've been hurting them and offending them. What am I doing? I'm saying, your offense doesn't count. At a certain age, you should just get over it. You see, the problem is not me. It's you, Mr. Thin Skin. Get tough. Does anyone see anything wrong with that? None of you? Yeah, what, can we all just raise our hands? Like, come on, only one of us, okay? Only one, a few of you want to condemn me, that's fine. I deserve it. In that instance, all of you should be raising your hand. What is wrong with you? That is not an apology. And yet a lot of people apologize in that manner. What we do is we minimize what the other person is feeling and experiencing. And we say, it doesn't matter because the real problem is you. You need to get over it. That is not an apology. And I think that's why a lot of people have a hard time forgiving is because the person never enters into what they've actually done wrong. They've never really felt the grief or the horrification of recognizing I have really offended you. I don't think you should be offended, but that doesn't matter. You have been offended. And so we don't know how to apologize. How about this one? Here's another good one. How about let's forget what happened in the past. And let's just move towards the future. I wish I remember what show I just saw that on, but that's just another thing that we say to people. Forget about that. It's not a big deal. It's behind us now. No, it's not. It's not behind us. It's stuck in my heart. And I need to hear an apology, not because I'm a jerk, but because I really want to know that you've entered into what you've actually done. It's kind of like if we go to God and we say, you know what, God, I got caught. It's her fault, or it's his fault, or it's their fault. But you know what, not my fault necessarily, but you know what, God, you know, I don't really feel bad about it, but I know that I have to say I'm sorry. So I'll just say I'm sorry. And we really don't enter into the lives and the pain that we've caused. And that's why repentance, not only towards God, but asking for forgiveness from someone else is an obstacle to unity because we really don't know how to apologize. We really don't know how to say, you know what, I have offended you. Maybe I don't feel it necessarily. And that should scare you if you've offended someone. A few weeks ago, I remember offending a group of people, and I was horrified. Not because I'm a great guy, but I just realized, wow, if that's what people got, first of all, they missed what I was trying to do. But that doesn't matter, because if people see that, what do they see? They see Christ. And if they see an uncaring person, that reflects Christ. And that would horrify me. And so if we're sitting in a church here, and you know that you need to get up and actually apologize, really apologize, enter into somebody else's pain that you have caused, when we can do that, that's called repentance. It's really recognizing I've done something wrong because we put the onus 
on the person who has been offended and say, you just got to forgive them. And we don't put the onus on the person who's done the offense because we just got to get over it. I think that's sin. I think if you have offended someone, Jesus doesn't say there's an exemption to not apologizing, but he says if you know that you have, apo- you have offended someone, go put down whatever you got in the midst of your worship and go and apologize and make this right. And those are obstacles to unity because if we recognize the fact that I have to lay it all down and this other person's going to get away with it, it's really hard for me to actually forgive them. You see how that dog wags a tail? And it just spirals down and our hearts get harder. So what do we need? I think we need an antidote to this. Two things. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45. I don't know if you remember uh, last year, I think it was either March or April, I shared uh, a little bit about the story that I was going through and dealing with anger, and I talked about drop the charges. Does anyone remember that? Drop the charges, a few of you. It's not really encouraging. <laughs> By Wednesday, they say 95% of what you speak on, people forget. Drop the charges. What do you do when you try to drop, drop the charges, but you can't? And uh, my counselor, he, he said these words. <clears throat> not just Jesus, but my, my real counselor. He said, but I, this is what Jesus said. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Who is a children of God? The one who is a peacemaker. Romans 12, 14, 17 through 20. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. <coughs> In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Now, I heard an interesting interpretation of this. When you see that, don't you rejoice a little bit? All right, man, my enemy's hungry, I'll feed him. Thirsty, I'll give him some thirst, but man, I'm going to whack him over the head with them burning coals. Woohoo! Excellent! No. The interpretation is that somehow it has to do with actually blessing the person. You see, what Paul's saying is, don't bless them so you can curse him. That doesn't make sense. He's saying, bless them, man. Just go all out. Make every effort. Pursue this. Be eager to bring peace, to make peace, because Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. He has made peace between those who are hostile and are now in the family of God. So anything less than peacemaking, to be honest, if we're going to take the Bible at what it says is, is sin. It's just flat out sin. Whether you need to forgive or you really need to apologize for the sin that you have committed against someone else, not to be eagerly pursuing and making every effort to do so is basically sin. And so if you're like me and you feel this closeness but distance from God, it may very very well be because you're stuck in this place where you can't drop the charges, where you can't let go. And my counselor said then your first step is to begin to pray that God will bless these people. That sound a little familiar? I think we heard that last week, didn't we? Isn't that part of the ascend? It's part of the ascend. Seeing God for who he is. Seeing God for what he's done. Because if we don't walk in obedience in this manner, then that distance grows. Because really what we're saying is, not yes, Lord, but no, Lord. I like the exemption clause. Or, Lord, you don't understand what they've done. 
But he does. Now, I want you to understand this. Before I go any further and close out. There are instances where people have been 100% sinned against. So if you're in that place, you know, I don't want you to think I'm telling you, man, this horrible post-traumatic sort of thing has happened to you. Just, you know, get over it and forgive. What I'm saying is normal conflict, usually both parties have done something. In our church, there's marital conflict. I wish I could say my wife and I never argue. If I did, you'd be knowing that I was lying. We argue. And sometimes it gets hard. But it's not just all her fault. It's not just all my fault. It's our fault. And we have to be peacemakers who learn that there comes a time where not only do we forgive, but we have to get up and say, I have sinned against you. I'm sorry. It's wrong. And if we're confronted, rather than giving excuses or reasons, to just basically say, I have done wrong, but I want you to understand why but it doesn't make it right. I think if I remember correctly, Hannah, didn't I buy you like one year, I bought you a, like a CD, a worship CD. Was that early in our marriage? And I was like, man, cool gift, cool gift. <laughs> okay, it was an offensive gift. <laughs> and rightly so, she was right. But I could have said, dude, it's worship, man. You could take this everywhere you want. What you getting mad about? I sinned against her, needed to apologize. That's a small thing. And I know there's some really major conflicts that are going on in marriages that are here. But what I'm saying is Jesus Christ, the peacemakers, calls, the peacemaker calls us to be peacemakers. And anything less is not following him. That's tough stuff. I hate to say it, but I think that's what the scripture's teaching. To be eager. So, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. You don't need to hear from me anymore. I used a lot of verses, not to beat you over the head with that. But I used a lot of verses because I wanted to see it. The theme of Scripture is peace. The gospel is peace. Jesus Christ, Son of God, creator and maker and sustainer of the universe, has stepped down from his throne, planted his flag, lived among us, lived a life to show us how we can know God, died on a cross for our sin, rose from the dead to give us power over our sin, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God so that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places to be followers of Jesus. And that ministry of reconciliation and peacemaking is the ministry that Jesus gives to us now. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.